0: The following
1: is an encore presentation of The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge, first aired on December 7th. And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. We've got something special for you today, and we'll get to it right after this. So in your neighborhood, do you have uh, an auction house? And when I say neighborhood, I mean in your kind of community or close to your community. They're, they seem to be springing up all over the place now. And most of them are online, given the nature of our world these days. And because they're online, it doesn't really matter where they are. You can still bid, and if you're successful, you have to just have to figure out how to get it from wherever the location of the auction is. To your house well I spend perhaps more time than I should looking at all the things that are available at different auction houses and every once in a while I say hey man I'd really I, I'd like that and then I think well yeah but do I actually need that and the answer is almost always no but every once in a while I get tempted and I'll make a bid online. And then I'll watch, usually with these things, the online auctions, they go online about, I don't know, five, six days before the actual final moment of the auction. So it starts off really slow when you figure, wow, I can get a real bargain. Look at that. I can buy a sofa for a buck. I don't need a sofa, but it's only a dollar. Of course, by the time it gets to the crunch, it's gone up. It's a couple of hundred dollars or $300 or whatever. So, you, first of all, you got to get used to that. Don't get fooled by the opening bids on things. But there I was. I guess it was just last week or maybe two weeks ago. I was flipping through one of the local auction lists of the various things for sale. And there's always, you know, like a couple of hundred things. So, it's... It's a good way to spend an hour looking at dishes you don't need or silverware or what have you. Anyway, suddenly I come across this thing, 10 Beatles album, a buck. And they have them, they have pictures. And there, yeah, sure enough, those are the actual albums from back in the 60s. You know, Revolver, my favorite, Meet the Beatles. That was, I think, the very first one. That was the one with the, it was kind of a black cover and just their faces, the four of them, three on top and one on the side. And we used to sit in Billy Sheffield's basement back in Glebe and listen to the Beatles. Martin McDonald, Billy Sheffield, all these friends of mine from high school. We'd listen, I can remember in 19... It was probably around November of 1963, which was a big month. It was JFK assassination. But it was either November or early December of 63 that Billy Sheffield said, you got to listen to these guys. They're huge in England, and they're going to be huge here. And sure enough, we'd listen to that album. We'd listen to it over and over and over again. And then it was only a couple of months later that the Beatles arrived in North America and they played on the Ed Sullivan Show two Sunday nights in a row, and it was huge. Everything was big, and they took off. And everything was about the Beatles for the next few years. And it was one big album after another, and 10 of them are, were for sale on this auction bid. For a buck was the opening. So, of course, I went right in there. I thought, oh, I bid them all. I bid five bucks. (laughs) That didn't last long. Anyway, I checked today to see what they actually ended up selling for, and it wasn't really that much, $90. Now, I don't know what condition those albums are in. Maybe they're in terrible condition, but the covers looked okay, and you could probably make something out of that if you were so inclined. So that's the backdrop for what I want to talk about today. I don't know whether you were a Beatles fan. I don't know whether you were kind of my age, so you lived through the 60s, whether it was such a dominant part of everything that happened in that decade, or whether you are much younger but still influenced by the Beatles. As many bands, even today, are influenced by what happened back then. Well, if you are any of those things, you've probably been tempted to watch, if you have the streaming service, I think it's Disney Plus, if you have that streaming service to watch the new Peter Jackson directed documentary. It's almost eight hours long, three parts of The Beatles, In 1970, when they sat down to make an album, they had this studio for like two weeks before they were going to do a live show. And it was supposed to be all new music. So they had to create, you know, a dozen or so new songs. And some of the most biggest hits they ever had were created during those dozen days. And this film, much of it's been kind of hidden away in the archive somewhere. Most of it having never been seen before, except for by a few people. And it is a film that tells the story of how those songs were made. Basically, by just letting the, the film roll through all the hits and misses through the different versions of songs that are so familiar to us today. You know, like Get Back and Let It Be and uh, there's a whole bunch of them. So, obviously, I found it fascinating, this film. There are parts, long stretches, where it seems yeah, there's nothing really happening here. They're just kind of sitting around, Ringo tapping on the cymbals, the high hat, Paul and John sort of being Paul and John, George being not too happy about a number of things. Keep in mind, this was all taken literally months before they broke up. So as I said, I don't know whether you've witnessed this. I don't know whether you've watched it. But obviously, I would highly recommend it. But I wanted to get a different sense. I wanted to get a different take. I wanted to kind of get an understanding of what somebody who actually understands music is thinking about it all. So I thought, who should I talk to? And you know who I decided? Strombo. George Strombolopoulos. Good friend. He's in LA now. He's back and forth. he goes back and forth from Toronto to Los Angeles and Vancouver. He's doing all kinds of things. He does a special show with Apple Music. He's doing films, he's directing films, he's producing films, he's starring in films, but he's still a music guy at heart. So I decided I'd track him down. And because George is a friend, and no matter how busy he is, I dropped him an email and bingo, he said absolutely. So when we come back, my conversation with Strombo about the new Beatles documentary, right after this. Mm-hmm. So George, what what have you thought of this Beatles documentary the, from what you've seen so far?
0: I have loved it so much, Peter. There's a couple of things about it. One, I'm not surprised I'm enjoying it. What is a little surprising to me is how emotionally connected to this I feel. It's before my time, but, and I've heard these songs like all of us a million times, and we've heard the interviews and we know the backstory or some of the mythology, but to be in the room in this moment and you know as i do being in the rooms leading up to interviews or big moments how a lot can be gleaned from the empty spaces and the pauses and the energy in the room being a part of all that is incredible and to be there with the greatest band of all time that's it's i i'm i find myself getting a little emotional there's that part where you know when Paul is just messing around. It takes about a minute and 15 seconds before he gets to what will eventually be the course of get back for the first time. And I'm just like, how did he go from that to that in a minute and 15 seconds?
1: (laughs) Well, that is the thing that blows you away. Before I I get to that, first of all, I love that you're saying you liked it so much because I can remember once talking to you about something about the sixties and you went, Oh, you guys in the sixties, get over it. That was ages ago. Leave it alone. This is the new wave. This is the new era. Forget about the sixties. So it's great to hear you saying this.
0: I don't remember exactly as you're characterizing that, but, but I, but I, but I get your point. Well, it was, you and I were talking about politics and how, and how the way of doing it has definitely changed in time. But one thing that I think we know to be true, Peter, is, is as we listen to music evolve over time, and especially in what is pop music, it is getting a little narrower. Production beats are the same. The vibe is the same. Often the lyrics are the same, bored from each other. I'm not, I'm not You know, casting an aspersion on it, but it is getting narrower in pop music. This was a reminder of how pop music was actually widening and getting far more complex and far more interesting. You're not seeing that with pop bands today. You're not seeing that with radio bands today. Not even close.
1: And that was a fairly fast transition for the Beatles because in the early 60s, 63, 64, 65, their, their music was you know extremely popular, but it was like two minutes long. Suddenly yeah. by the end of that decade, it was much more involved. Much more, you know, much more music to it and much longer, you know, five, six minutes. Hey Jude. Yeah. Um, A a very different kind of music than had been just a couple of years before. So their transition was quick and unbelievably
0: productive.
1: You know, I mean, there, there are dozens and dozens of songs in a very short period of time.
0: And it's crazy to think that it's only seven years from the first record to the last record just seven years from the first to the last. And yeah, you know, it's funny because all those early Beatles tunes, of course, I listened to them and I liked them, but I, I never really connected with them when I was a kid, but it was the Beatles from help on from 1965 to 1970, where I heard something in them. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't think you can be in the white hot light of attention and temperature like they were without either being remolded or you know combusting and i think ultimately both happened i think the other part of it too peter i don't remember it i wasn't there but the mid 60s drugs entered the picture (laughs) they started to get on a certain kind of drugs i think that helped and they went on those journeys and then going to india and i think i think they started to see the world was much bigger than the one that they had just fit into these two and a half minute pop tunes Um, But I think there was a lot of stuff. The amazing thing about them to be is that they were equally of their time and way ahead of their time. That's a really unique position to be in as a band.
1: What surprised you about what you've witnessed so far in this?
0: How much fun they had. I think, you know, even Paul McCartney had said that when he was watching this back, he, he had rewritten the narrative in his head that him and John were at odds the whole time. And, I think the fact that they enjoyed each other, watching George Harrison and Ringo pay attention to Paul playing, to watch how all this came together, that no matter how split they had become and ultimately would become, when the four of them got in there with the music, that closeness, that that was really... And I, you know, man, I've been reading so many musicians in my 30 years and they all talk about, oh, the music, when we get together, we get together, and, I, and I hear it and I only believe in them half the time because you know that it's just the spin. But with the Beatles, they did the other thing. They, they forgot how close they were and they didn't spin the narrative of friends right at the end. So to see that closeness, uh, I don't know why it warmed my heart so much, but it really did. It, I felt, and also I think the thing that you and I knew to be true was seeing how george harrison could not continue in the beatles there's no way george harrison could continue in that band because he was way too talented and was way too he appreciated him but i don't think they got it just what kind of songs he could write
1: right yeah you sense that through here that he doesn't feel appreciated that it's
0: kind of a yeah. lennon
1: and mccartney band and he has ideas but they don't really want to listen to them
0: Yeah. And I think that George Martin, the producer, too, at one point said that he 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 might have done a disservice overlooking George in those early days as a songwriter. Um, But but who knows who? Maybe we don't get the songs. uh, Weirdly, some of my favorite Beatles songs are George Harrison songs and his solo record that the, um, you know, that All Things Must Pass collection that came out. That's my favorite solo Beatles thing, because it's the most ambitious, I think, in terms of its musicality and its scope. But watching the dynamic between the four of them and also knowing on every level, we'll never have that again. There will never be anything like the story. There will be big bands. There will be massive stars. There will be all that. But that was a moment in time. That world they come from doesn't exist. That post-war world doesn't exist anymore. The, the fact that they did that with no social media, just how big it cut. Like all of that is just a real—it's a time capsule. Yet, weirdly, the songs are still perfect today.
1: When, when we're witnessing the them sitting there, the four of them sitting there and kind of coming up with stuff together um, in their most, you know, constructive moments and their most innovative moments. How untypical is that? I mean, you know, uh, successful bands—you you've covered them, you know, all your musical. Uh, Reporting career. Um, How typical was what we were witnessing to what usually goes on? I mean, creative stuff must happen in, in different ways for different groups, but these guys literally seemed to be actually making it up on the fly as they were sitting at their instruments.
0: Absolutely, as you as you say, there are lots of ways that the creative process works with bands. Quite often, what will happen is, well, number one, you have a producer or a songwriter, and these bands just take somebody else's music. The other way is that in the band there is a dominant songwriter, and they'll bring a lot of the songs, and the band tries to figure their parts out to it. And of course, with the Beatles, it was Lennon and McCartney. So that that dynamic of we're gonna we're gonna jam until we figure it out. Uh, it was a little bit more prevalent then because the Beatles could afford the studio time. So, and, and in the 60s and 70s, bands definitely leaned, leaned into that kind of ex- experimentation. But, and lots of bands do that. We'll sit and they'll jam it out on the floor and try to figure it out. There's usually sketches, you know, that McCartney and Lemon, you could hear they had sketches of songs there already. What's rare is for, I, th- I think it's rare for it to come as quickly as it did. And I think it's rare for, you know ringo is is often derided by people right uh and I, whenever anybody rips ringo now i know this is an adult something i didn't know in my 20s but whenever anybody rips Ringo, i think you don't know anything about music you don't know anything about music if you rip ringo star because for him to fit into that mix the way he did and there's little creative moments the way he plays the hi-hats the snare he does things that most drummers wouldn't do it's not technically proficient but as a friend of mine once said jeremy taggart who was the drummer for our lady Peace, it's who has the best ideas and what was amazing is that the joke is always ringo wasn't even the best drummer in the band but he still had amazing ideas and everybody in that band brought an idea to the table that was world class lots of bands have cool ideas and great moments Not as many get to do it the way... And maybe nobody ever did it like the Beatles. That's the truth. Nobody ever reached that level where that little jam circle so quickly turned into songs that became iconic for decades. We're still talking about them after all these years. It's incredible.
1: You know, I I was always a a Ringo guy right from... Back in 63, 64, Ringo was the one that was kind of my favorite in the band. But you're right. There was always this sense that, oh, you know, he's just a cute guy and he was funny, had a great smile, but he really couldn't play the drums. When you watch this film, you go because he, he's in it the whole time. He never leaves. Uh, the the the, the, other, the other three get up and down all, all the time, but Ringo's sitting there, or he's being, um, you know, at the drums. But he's very attentive, and he picks up stuff like almost immediately as they as they're starting the, the whole get back sequence and even the Let It Be sequence. You know, he's on it like right away. Nobody's telling him. That John's not saying, right. you know, do this, Ringo, or, or whatever. He's right. on it and he's on it
0: you know and it sounds great it sounds great and it becomes it becomes iconic you know there's a there's a with the electric guitarist there's always this debate about who is the greatest and i think what we tend to do is we look at the one who can shred the most who stands out the most but there's another school of thought which is which guitarist makes the song the best not who has the most technical proficiency that you know a lot of the shredding guitarists look at the edge from you too and they don't put him in the category of the jimmy pages the tom morellos and all that which which i and i understand why but if you listen to what the edge does when he constructs a song he is a part of that song that song doesn't exist without him but it's not about showing off it's about ideas and it's about it's a totality when i watch this get back series and and the Ringle thing is really important it's he does exactly, he, he elevates the song, but it's not about him. There's Weirdly, there's nobody in that band showing off on the song. When you actually hear the song, it all works. Those four guys, all work really well together. Usually in these big bands, you go, okay, I'm ready for the big solo, I'm ready for the this, I'm ready for the that, and I love all that too. I'm a Zeppelin guy, first and foremost. <laughs> but when you hear somebody who can make the song sound better, and it's already incredible. That's what I think about Ringo. Phil Selway, the drummer for um, for Radiohead, same thing. He does exactly what he needs to do. Elevates the song, but doesn't take over. That's what great drummers do in my mind. You have the other kind of drummers who it's about the show, and I get that. But you didn't need to be that in the Beatles because it already had... I mean, the third best songwriter in the band was George Harrison. And he's one of the best songwriters ever. And he was the third best songwriter in that band. Ringo didn't need to do more than what
1: Ringo did. You know, when you go back through the kind of the history of rock, um, in, in terms of rock bands, there are very few that have, uh, have managed to stay together the whole time. You know, I guess the Stones are the, uh, yeah. are the classic example of one that the, that's being able to manage that kind of group dynamic. Uh, and even in this film, and it's only, you know, they've only been together for, I guess, less than 10 years by, by that time. Um, you can see that it's starting to fall apart. And you can almost understand why it does. It's not like they dislike each other, but there, there's kind of a, a, a tension there in the way they're making music together, the kind of group dynamic. What, what do we learn about the group dynamic in general, not just the Beatles, by watching this?
0: I think, I think what it comes down to in a lot of respects is people grow in different ways and of course the environment will dictate how you grow i don't think very many people ever had the 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 environment that the beatles had because they were inventing this essentially and i think they all and what we know now what we have language for now is everybody talks about coping mechanisms and everybody talks about taking care of themselves What we're seeing in that band, and you see with lots of bands, is the Beatles recognized they didn't need to do this. They all had enough confidence to know they would be fine on their own. And I think that's an important consideration. A lot of bands, when they start to fray at the edges, it's hard because this is their thing. And as big as the Beatles were, John Lennon had felt like he had outgrown the Beatles, and I think Paul McCartney would have stayed in the Beatles, but he felt like while well, he's Paul McCartney, he can go do his thing too. George knew that he was ready and Ringo was going to do whatever Ringo was going to do. So I don't think they were afraid uh, that they would lose their identity. Maybe they were, but it, I don't get that sense at all. So that's why I think the tension that you're feeling comes from a confidence of knowing that they have outgrown this. And I think the tension was what was causing that, that certainly the outgrowing is what's causing that. Tension. A lot of other bands don't have that freedom in the future that the Beatles were going to have for sure. Um, but I don't think there's, I don't even think there's a comparable because because of what they were doing. If you think about rockabilly, rockabilly music is the last pop music ever that wasn't inspired by the Beatles in some way, shape or form. All of music's different. I talked to Keith Richards about this the other day because I've seen them, um, the stones play a show and I've seen the stones play a lot. They're usually fine once they were amazing this last show i saw was one of the best concerts i've ever seen in my life and (laughs) and they're all in their 70s plus dude they're almost eight they're almost 80 they're almost 80. it was it was shocking how good the show was and i and i said to keith i said look i've seen you lots but there was something different about this and he said there was they lost, you know they lost charlie and it was hard for them to lose charlie and I think they realized what they had together so he said i look at my guy he was talking about mick out there dying for us and he was it's my job to back him up and it's his job to back me up and he goes and that's when we feel our closest is when we're on the stage now that band of course been pulled apart in a lot of different ways but they know keith knows it's the rolling stones i think mick would have been fine going on his own but keith knows it's the rolling stones that keep them and I think the loss of Charlie really affected the way they interact with each other. The the Beatles at that point were all still alive. They were all still young. That's the other part. They were all still young. And yeah, they're like they're in really
1: their twenties when we're, we're watching I mean, this stuff and you have to keep <laughs> pinching yourself saying they're in their
0: twenties. Yeah. <laughs> They're in their twenties. Exactly. I think, you know, a little while later, they were going to get back together. It was a lot of real talk about a reunion from the Beatles into the seventies. And oh my goodness, how great would that have been because John probably would have been on the road and maybe he's still alive and and who knows what what would have happened. But the, the group dynamic is so strange. Drugs plays a big part in drugs, ego, money, jealousy. There's all these things that, that create the alchemy that can destroy a band it's why you two are so special that it's the same guys after all these decades you know up until the passing of of uh, dusty the easy top the same three guys for decades you know the stones have been able to do it because it's really the mick and keith show and and ron wood is ron wood now he's so great but i think that i don't know how the beatles even survived as long as they did they couldn't even hear themselves at shows they would go to shows and it would just be people screaming for the whole thing that that's not it's really hard to do comp- you, you play videos to younger people you go, oh whatever the beatles and you play them the madness and you go yeah like that went on for eight years and that's and why they stopped stop doing concerts right it's that's crazy.
1: one of the reasons they stopped doing concerts yeah. they could they couldn't even hear their own yeah. music uh, by the way i totally. I'd, I'd love to be able to say you know i was talking to keith the other day and <laughs> <laughs> that must be nice um, but I will say, I, I, will drop one name. Um, I was talking to Randy Backman and I'm sure, has he ever told you this, the pizza guy story? I don't know if he has. They were recording, they were recording in Seattle. They were recording, taking care of business and they figured they did it over and over over again. And this is a Backman Turner overdrive and they figured, okay, we've got it. That's perfect. And there's a knock at the studio door, and somebody opens the door, and there's a guy holding, like, six pizzas. And um, he says, is, is this such-and-such such a, a studio? And they said, no, 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 that's down the hall. And the guy says, I just heard you playing that back. You know, if you just get a little piano riff in that opening, it would be much better. And they uh, yeah, thanks, pal. And they close the door, and Randy's standing there thinking wonder why why don't we just try that and if you listen if you listen to taking care of business that piano riff is in there now so i kept waiting for the pizza guy to turn up in this peter jackson documentary but nobody ever did who walked in to say hey why don't you try this and that was part of the beauty of the of, of this group right i mean there were all kinds of hangers on there and there were you know george martin was there and and there were other people there but it 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 was, it was their
0: music. That's a, you know, that's a really important thing to add because, you know, with, with that great op- piano piece, the, uh, the keyboard piece in, um, Bob Dylan, you know, how does it feel that, that, that like a Rolling Stones song, I think it was Al Cooper who was just messing around playing and the people in the room said, Oh no, don't do that. Bob doesn't want to hear that. Then Bob walked in and heard it and said, what's that? <laughs> and they, put, and, they put, and they put that in the song. Um, you know, you remember that great documentary, The Wrecking Crew? Everybody loved that documentary, but the backing band, the session bands that played on every record, right. that, that that documentary to me, Peter, was a bit of a funeral because it made me realize how much all of some of my favorite albums were great albums, but the bands didn't do them. The bands couldn't do them. And it was other people who played. And this is why I love Led Zeppelin so much, because it's just them. And this is why I love the Beatles so much, because it's them. Yes, Bernard Purdy and a couple other drummers came in and laid some parts down, but it's a Purdy shuffle. You can't compete with that. But the fact that, as you pointed out, it was them. They wrote the songs, they made those, they made them up on the spot. And now we get to see it all happen. I I honestly, I put it on in the back. I'll watch this whole thing a couple of times before it's done, but I'll put it on in the background. and, And just as I'm doing things around the house, I'll just let it play as if I'm in the studio. And I've read some of the. The criticisms of this oh it's boring oh it's whatever oh it's this and i just think to myself how cynical and have these people become and how much do they miss the point this isn't supposed to be a marvel movie thanos isn't there at the end this isn't about you know this isn't another bond movie i love the last Bond movie by the way but Everybody so ex- expects this to be fast and the furious. But what this really is, is a window into four of the greatest to ever sit in the room together, who invented all the stuff that we like now. And that's not good enough <laughs> for some. It's like I, I read one headline and one paragraph of something. Somebody sent me. And I just I deleted the text and I said, don't ever send me that again. Like I don't need to hear somebody who doesn't get it that this is a window into something you'll never ever see again.
1: Is what they created during that decade is it still evident in in today's music?
0: Yeah, 100% and you can even if um even if the artists don't know it, the artists that they are inspired by have definitely come from the Beatles. We were I was doing a thing with forgive the name drop, but it, it was for a show. We were doing a thing on punk rock and we were trying to talk about the elements of punk rock, the beginnings of punk rock. And even for somebody today who wanted to get into punk rock. And I was talking to Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters Nirvana about it. And he said, you have to start with the Beatles. He said, you have to start with the Beatles. If you want to make punk rock today, you don't have to sound like the Beatles, but you have to start with the Beatles. And everything comes from that or runs from it but it is defined by that even if they even hip-hop the the beastie boys paul's boutique album which influenced so many even if the new generation doesn't know it sampled the beatles like crazy on that record i mean i don't even know how they cleared those samples so it, it's definitely evident and i think what you're hearing it is a lot of the electro pop music that's out there simple melodies great hooks but what it doesn't have is I and mean, you you hit the word earlier tension and dynamic the actual group dynamic is the is the oxygen in the song anybody can write great songs anybody can produce great songs and we the kids today are making incredible that weekend's music is incredible like he is making the best music in the world i think in many respects but when you look at a group dynamic the oxygen in the room is the tension and the dynamic with the four of them or the five and whoever's in a group I don't think we have anything like the Beatles and I think that you can hear great music today, but it doesn't sound as intense. Even their pop songs sounded desperate. Their pop songs sound like they had to get those words out. You have to listen to it right now or you're going to miss it. Is that that thing? I think that thing a lot of bands still chase and I interview a lot of bands every day now for my new show and they all talk about the Beatles they all talk about the Beatles. They talk about the Stones and the Who and the Clash for sure. And Zeppelin, of course, the Public Enemy. But the Beatles, I mean, if if I interview a band who's like, I don't care about the Beatles, I just think, oh my God, I don't care about you anymore. (laughs) You don't have to like them, but if you don't care about them, I don't think you understand how the building blocks of songs happen. And I think the Beatles invented a lot of that and you still hear it.
1: You know, George, it's great to talk to you. It's always been great to talk to you. But I I would be, uh, I would disappoint a lot of people if I didn't get you to tell you're in L.A. for this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would disappoint a lot of people if I didn't allow you to tell us what you're up to generally. I mean, you've got your hands in so many different things right now. Um, Tell us what Strombo is doing.
0: I've been doing, um, uh, I helped Apple launch a new radio station. So they reached out to me a while back and said, we want to start this new station that plays the best music from all genres around the world. Do you want, do you want to come on board? And I was, it was interesting as I was, I was about to do another show. I had a new interview thing coming and I was excited about it and it was coming together. And then Apple reached out and said, do you want, to do this. And I thought for a second in my entire career, the only thing I wish I did a little bit longer was this radio show where I got to play music uh, in Toronto. And I thought, well, this opportunity doesn't come around too often. And they, they brought me on board to, to help them do this It's in 165 countries around the world. They do it five days a week. It's, it's really, it's, um, it's an awful, like Keith was just on, but Bruce Springsteen was just on. And it's just talking to great musicians and artists and playing songs Um, So I'm doing that. But what I also started doing against the advice of everybody in my life, I started making movies. Uh, So while (laughs) everybody's watching short videos on their phone, I decided, so I I produced a couple of indie features and I'm in a couple and I just directed a short uh, and I have a new one coming and it's been really fun. And you know, you know, Peter, it's like, I learned, and I I think people who are listening to you know this about me, I learned an enormous amount from you. And I don't think I, I'm certain I wouldn't be where I am today without you and your guidance. career. that is for sure. But one thing I always really loved about you was how you were, you were unapologetic about the things you liked and your curiosities. And that's, that's how I feel about, when I make things so I thought I've done a lot in my career i had a very blessed career I get that I want to make a couple movies let's just do that and people are like that's stupid why would you do that now in your life you're 49 like I know but I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna learn how to do it and that's what I've been doing so I, I love I love being bad at things I love learning all the time I know how to interview people I know how to play music on the radio I know how to do that but I love to learn and be terrible at things so making movies has been a really really interesting experience that's what i've been doing a lot of and i've got a new uh i've got a new show coming which would be a crazy documentary series which we're really close to putting that deal together so i've been producing stuff as well and it's been a lot of fun i've been busier than i've ever been but i've probably never felt as much fun as when i would be walking in the hallways and i would just sit in your office and we'd catch up for a bit
1: you know it was back in one of those days where you started nicknaming me the bridge and that's how i got the name for this podcast that's why I call it the bridge.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember, I remember it was around Christmas, Christmas time as well when we were talking and I said, you've got to do a podcast. We need a Peter Mann's podcast podcast. <laughs> well,
1: it's fun. As you know, there you can uh, have is, a lot of fun in this fun. medium. Listen, George, you take care and yeah. uh, congratulations on all these new things you're doing. It's uh, it sounds great. Look forward to uh, watching them when I get the opportunity and always to listen to you. Take care about it.
0: For sure. Okay. You two, you too, brother, be welcome.
1: Strombo at 49. <laughs> George Strombolopoulos is 49. Who can believe that? Mind you, you can't believe I'm 73. A couple of old guys talking about the Beatles. I love it though, because George wasn't even alive when the Beatles started. But he's great to talk to on this subject. And uh, it was a treat having you on the program. Hope you enjoyed it as well. That's it for The Bridge on this day, this Tuesday. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in 24 hours with Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth with Bruce Anderson. That's tomorrow. <laughs> You've been listening to an encore presentation of The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge, first aired on December 7th.